Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Northeast Arkansas, there's a... Excuse me. In Northeast Arkansas, there's a mostly flat geography. It's, you can see for miles, but there's one portion. If you look at a topographical map, you can see this geographic fixture in Randolph and Lawrence counties and the surrounding area of Arkansas. It's called Crowley's Ridge, uh, and it pretty well stands out. You can see it because everything else around it's flat, and it's this little glorified hill that exists along the New Madrid Fault. There was a, a man that was hiking up a trail on Crowley's Ridge one time, and he'd been hiking for quite some time up this trail, and he came upon a cabin. And there was an old man sitting on the porch, and he asked him, about how much further is it to the top of the ridge? And the man said, well, you've got about, about two hours yet. And the man said, oh, well, you know, my canteen is empty. Is there anywhere I can get water? And the old man said, yeah, over yonder. They say that word up there, over yonder. Over yonder, there's a stream. And you can fill your canteen up there. The man said, well, is it safe to drink? Is it clean water? And he said, oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, that's fed from a natural spring at the top of the ridge. If you follow along that stream, you'll, you'll get to the top of the ridge, and you can have water all along the way. Man said, great. So he fills up his canteen, he guzzles it down, he walks along the stream, gets to the top of the ridge, and as he comes out, it opens up into a pasture that's up on top of the ridge. And he sees the stream winding through the pasture, and in the middle of the stream, about a dozen or so cattle doing what cattle do in streams of water. And the man learned a valuable lesson. If you don't know where something has come from, you don't know what something is. We've been studying uh, the last couple of weeks, and we will for the next few weeks, uh, about why we're different and how we're different. And we're going to talk a few weeks in the next few weeks uh, about some specific things about our congregation and our faith tradition that we think are very special uh, and that are different and that set us apart. Not to learn simply why we do these things, not to reinforce that it's better than what anyone else does, but to understand and appreciate it deeper and to celebrate that which makes us different. Last week we talked in a much broader sense about why Christianity, why faith in Christ is so starkly different from the rest of the world and the rest of the religious world. But this week, if we're going to talk about where we are and where we're going, we need to talk about where we've been. And so we're going to still be a little bit broader in discussing the history of who we are and this name that we wear, the Churches of Christ, where it comes from, what it means, and how we got here. Our world is becoming so sharply divided. And maybe it's not as divided as we perceive because the way in which we get our information has changed and it tends to promote sharp division. But it seems that the world is very polarized, both socially and politically and economically, and in fact, religiously, we find ourselves with great differences within the religious world, even within Christianity, within Protestantism, and even in our own faith tradition, the churches of Christ, 
there is great division about how we understand Scripture and how we practice our faith. Words like false teacher and false doctrine are thrown around a lot, and that can be a bit of a dangerous thing to do. It has some negative side effects. Now, we certainly want to be concerned and diligent in our seeking after the truth. We believe wholeheartedly, as do all Christians, that we should seek to understand what God is telling us in his holy scriptures. And we will continue to do so. But there is a, a, a negative consequence of calling anything that simply differs with us in practice false or dangerous doctrine. The danger is, one primary danger, is that when we do encounter something that is truly dangerous and truly false and not merely just a difference that we have with someone, then our warnings against it are so diluted and impotent that no one will listen. If everything is false, then nothing matters when we have a true warning for those in error. More importantly, it makes the unity which Jesus pleads for and which New Testament writers promote that much harder. Imagine that we are trying to show a picture to the world of Jesus. And we cut up that picture into little puzzle pieces, little jigsaw puzzles, and each one of our groups, Christian groups, denominations, begins drawing their piece of that picture. And then we come together and we put it together and we show it to the world. What would it look like? It might look like a jumbled Picasso-esque rendering of what Jesus was supposed to be. When we fight and when we differ and when we argue and when Christians attack Christians, are we showing the picture of Jesus to the world that we're supposed to? Is it something that this world wants to follow? Well, we've got to know where we've come from. We've got to understand who we are in order to figure out where we're going and these things we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. We are historically, the churches of Christ, the product of a movement. Uh, there was a time where um, the churches of Christ were the fastest growing religious group in America. And I say group because we're not a denomination, remember? That's what we were always told growing up, that we're not a denomination. Now that idea comes from some of the history, that we were indeed seeking after uh, a non-sectarian way of approaching fellowship, an understanding of Scripture that gets us as close to the New Testament model as we can. And so we stayed away from that term denomination, but so much of how our churches practice today and what we practice in the mainstream churches of Christ is every bit as sectarian and denominational as that which we fought against for so long. We have to know our history. We have to know where we've come from. We could go back to Alexander Campbell, Barton Stone, and people like them in the in the 1800s, the early part of the, the 19th century. But I want to go further back than that. Let's talk about Thomas Campbell. That's Alexander's dad. Thomas Campbell came over from Ireland, a Presbyterian minister in the New World in the late 1700s, and he was in the Wild West of the United States. Well, we call it Pennsylvania now. But at the time, that was the frontier of this new world and this new country. He was a Presbyterian minister, but he got a little crossways with that, those folks for a number of reasons, uh, one of which was he objected strongly to their practice of closed communion. And so he left that group. Uh, he was asked to leave, but he left that group. 
and decided it was time that we begin trying something different, trying something new. And he examined the scriptures, and he examined the landscape and the divided, fractured world of Christianity, and he wrote a document called the Declaration and Address. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Thomas Campbell's Declaration and Address, I'd encourage you to Google it, read it for yourself. It's written in 18th century English, so that's why I'm not going to read it to you. But I will paraphrase parts of it. What Thomas Campbell wrote was something that was meant to form a new group, a new movement. That movement had uh, not, not a whole lot of success, that particular association he formed in that place. But parts of that document are still very, very important to the history of our people. He wrote in there some things that were radical for his time and are still pretty radical today. He talked about the need to tear down the walls of sectarianism and to get rid of the things that divide us and to boil it down to something very simple that reflected what Scripture teaches. And he chose a name for this movement. In the Declaration and Address, he chose Churches of Christ. Now, he didn't get that from Romans 16, 16, actually. That's what we always point to as the source of our name. No, he got it because that was a phrase that was in common usage at the time to refer to all Christians everywhere. The same word is actually Catholic. The word Catholic means the universal church. When you read the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and some of the early uh, documents and, and, and words of the, the church, you see the word Catholic in there, and we think Roman Catholic, don't we? But it's a little c in Catholic, and that means all Christians everywhere. It was meant to include everyone. And that's what Thomas Campbell wrote. He began this movement and, and, and put coined this term, which was in common usage, to refer to the movement as the Churches of Christ. And he talked about letting go of that which we have designed and that we have put in place to focus solely on what Scripture teaches, and that is a faith in Jesus Christ. He said that nothing should be inculcated or inferred, that no practice should be bound upon one another, that goes beyond the simple understanding of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the practice of that faith to the best of our ability. He said that if someone believes in Jesus Christ and they seek after him and they worship and follow him in the best way they understand Scripture to teach, that is your brother. Most mainstream Church of Christ preachers, if they said such a thing today, would be fired before the Packer game starts. That's pretty radical even in the 21st century. He was pretty radical for his day, too. His son took up that mantle, Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell once referred to the Pope as his brother. Not the kind of thing that we hear very often today. But this declaration and address did, in fact, begin a movement, a unity movement, that gave rise to what we are today, the Churches of Christ the welcome and fellowship of all believers. It didn't mean there weren't going to be differences. That was one difference between Alexander and Thomas. Alexander Campbell sought unity by unifying the practice of churches. Uh, Barton Stone was a little more like Thomas Campbell in that he wanted to unify in the spirit and in the understanding of what really mattered. And Thomas Campbell had the idea, and Alexander Campbell in part shared it, and Barton Stone took up that mantle as well, 
that we should tear down the walls of sectarianism and welcome all believers. Didn't mean that there weren't still right and wrong. Didn't mean that there weren't still differences or things that could be better or could be worse. It wasn't to say that God didn't have a plan or didn't have a preference in some of the things that we choose to do. Their idea was that in spite of that, you can't bind that on someone else. And they had scripture to defend that. And we'll look at that in a little bit. And this movement did pick up a lot of steam and it made a huge impact in the Ohio River Valley area into the Midwest and eventually made its way down south as well. But something happened. The Civil War divided our nation and it eventually divided our churches. It wasn't on the issues of states and slaves, but eventually a man in Indiana named Daniel Salmer, not Saunders, Salmer, uh, disagreed with Thomas Campbell, and he wrote an address and declaration, intentionally and literally undoing the things that Thomas Campbell had promoted. And he got the majority of people behind him. And on and on through the years, this movement that the Campbells began started to fracture and splinter and divide and change and evolve and build its own walls. Every year, there is a catalog put out of the list of the denominations, Christian denominations in America. I think it's somewhere in uh, 1,500 to 2,000 different groups now exist. What a tragedy that we have divided so sharply. What a tragedy in light of our history, the declaration and address and this desire to get back simply to what the Bible teaches and defines as a Christian in faith. What a shame that today so many think of the name Church of Christ as something that it belongs to spiritual elite who think they're the only ones going to heaven. Such a shame. A shame that they don't know our history better. A shame that we don't know our history better. And on and on, as the world has turned, Christians have divided over one issue or another. And why? All in search and in service to this idea that we're going to get it right. That this group isn't practicing what God wants them to practice, and so we're going to go over here and do it our way, and we're going to get it right. May I ask the question this morning, what if there is no it? What if we're chasing after a myth, as Thomas Campbell would have thought? Not the myth of God. We believe in God, but this myth that somehow we're going to do enough the right way to please God and that nothing short of following those ordinances and obedience will please him. What if we've got that wrong? What if the entire Christian world has gotten that wrong? Our movement was one that sought to undo that mistake. And I fear too many have lost sight of that original purpose. So what does the Bible say about these things? What does scripture teach us about what happens when Christians disagree, when they're different from one another, and when their practices fall in conflict with one another? How are we to proceed? Is there a right and wrong? Is God more or less pleased with one or the other, and what should we do? Paul presents an image of someone who sought to teach, and he certainly had some strong opinions about what was right and what was wrong when it came to Christian profession and our practice of our faith. But never in addressing a brother in error does he refer to him as anything less than a brother. 
Even in error, Paul still recognized that we are bound by a faith in Jesus Christ. That's a strong endorsement of some of the ideas that Thomas Campbell had and that have been a part of our heritage and our history in our churches. Paul dealt with issues like circumcision. So much of his writing has to do with disagreements in the church and amongst Christians. And what does he say? He over and over expresses a call to unity, echoing the idea and the wish of Jesus himself calling the children to gather. And here's the thing, and here's what makes it so hard. God wants his children to come together, but the children don't get to decide who the other children are. That's God's choice. That's hard for us. We like to have our lines. We like to know our teams. We like to know who's right and wrong. And Paul, in Romans chapter 14, talks about this idea of sharp disagreement in matters of conscience. It's dealing with several disagreements. Let's read in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. In other words, don't welcome someone in just to tear them apart. Don't engage with someone just so you can destroy them and lord over them your holiness. He says, but one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Now here's two people. One believes very strongly that it is a sin for them to eat something. The other believes it is very strongly not a sin for them to do so. One of them is right and one of them is wrong. I mean, in a literal, objective way, one of them is right and one of them is wrong. Does Paul share who is right and who is wrong here? No. He says, look, it doesn't matter that one of you is right and one of you is wrong. It matters that you love one another because God has accepted all of you. And the mode of thinking that we have to get it right leads us very quickly to judgment and separation from those that we feel don't have it right. Someone may be right, and we will continue to teach the things we think are right, and we will continue to encourage and promote the things that we think are appropriate. But at the end of the day, we are not authorized to divide fellowship with people simply over those disagreements. Let's continue reading Paul's words. God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. So the keeping of holy days or high days, they disagreed on. Each person, Paul says, must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Paul says, it doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. It matters that you are doing what you do for God and God has accepted you on that basis and you must accept one another. I think there's plenty of room in our churches today for us to really hash out some things, for us to talk about 
why we disagree on certain things. There's some things I think some groups have gotten wrong. And there's some things that they think we've gotten wrong. Why can't we talk about that? Why can't we work it out? Why can't we figure it out? Because we're too concerned sometimes over who's ultimately right and wrong. It's good to teach. It's good to learn. It's good to encourage. It's good to hold up the scriptures and say, this is what it says and this is what's true. And for all of that, we do not have the authority to divide fellowship. It frustrates the prayer of Jesus. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us must give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. We support one another and we love one another in spite of our differences. And the children don't get to decide who's part of the family. The father does. Now, why does all this matter? Why do I say all of this? Well, I want us to know our history. I want us to know where we've come from. We're going to talk about some defining characteristics the next few weeks that we see in the churches of Christ and in our history and why those are special and why they should be celebrated and why we should continue to teach them and understand them deeply. But we first have to know where we've been. And we are a people who come from a heritage of unity. We come from a heritage of welcoming all Christians everywhere. We come from a heritage of calling those who carry a different name and different practice our brethren. That's something that I don't know that I'm always comfortable with. I don't know that we as a body are always comfortable with it. I don't know that we as humans in today's society are always comfortable with it. But it is what the Bible teaches. Paul did say there is there are some people we should divide from, that we should get away from. Do you know who it was? You know who he said that you should watch out for and stay away from? The divisive. We know Romans 16, 16, don't we? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Do you know there's a verse 17? Take a look. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Paul says, if you believe in Jesus, if you accept him, and if you seek to follow him and obey him, that's your brother. But if you want to divide people, that's who you run away from. And what is it that unites us? We can go to the exact same author, Paul, in the book of Galatians. In the verse that Wesley read for us, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for a hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Well, what matters, Paul? What is it that unites us? What's the thing that matters most? Faith, working through love. That's what Paul tells us we should be doing. Not fighting, not attacking, 
but we should be doing that together. And that matters to us. Because if we are to celebrate who we are and understand who we are, we've got to know where we've been. We've got to know where the source of this stream is flowing from. Because we are called to present a picture to this world of Jesus. And may we not contribute to the fracturing of that image. And may we encourage our brethren who maybe feel differently than we do to not contribute to the fracturing of that image. Those who maybe have a difference of opinion or a more progressive outlook on Scripture or can accept things that we cannot, we need to remember to love them. And those of us who tend to be maybe a little more conservative and careful in our understanding of Scripture, and believe me, I would probably stand on that side of things, we need to remember that those people are loved by God too. All sides should recognize that those who call on the name of the Lord belong to our family. It's important for the unity that we have with one another. It's important for the unity we promote to this world. And it's important that we answer the prayer of Jesus when he called for his people to come together. This is a tough topic. This is a tough thing to navigate. But we have to know where we've been and where we're going if we're going to get where we need to be. This morning, we have a, a tradition in our churches of taking a time at the end here to set aside an opportunity for all those who wish to take a positive step in their spiritual journey. It's by no means the only time that an invitation is open, but it is something we do. And it's important this morning as we do that, that we remember that when Jesus hung on the cross, he had each of our names on his lips. He died for me. He died for you. Specifically, you. And when we encounter those with whom we disagree and when they encounter us, we should hope and we should pray that each of us bear in mind Jesus also had their name on his heart as well. He died for them just like he did us. And we can have these conversations and these discussions and, in fact, these disagreements with love and with a spirit of unity. And as we celebrate these next few weeks, the things that make us a little bit different, we do so with an understanding that as strongly as we feel that we're right about it, we always, in our teaching and encouraging of others, want to have that same spirit of love and unity with them as well. But if you have a need this morning, I'm going to ask Jonathan to come up and lead us in a final song, and you can make that need known as we stand and sing together. Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at monroewicoc at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us next week.